Well, again, I want to welcome you to Kingswood Church. Again, my name is Clayton, and I'm one of the pastors here at Kingswood, and we're just so grateful um, and excited that you are, are joining us with us today on this wonderful, wonderful Sunday morning. As Pastor James already uh, talked about today, uh, we are in the midst, uh, we're in the second week of our series called Reckless Love, and last week uh, we heard about God's call, uh, to, that we're called to love God with everything that we have. And that we're to call, uh, and we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And this kind of frames the series of reckless love. And we're called to do this in ways that might seem out of control or crazy or don't doesn't make sense to others. And today we're going to kind of move in this series to think of ways in which we can expand and draw the circle even wider of who is included to include every single person. But we must be able to draw it wider and wider and wider. So my mom grew up in a family. Uh, her dad was an antique dealer, um, and so her mom was often home. And when she was in junior high, she would often ask for friends to come over, as a junior high child does. Um, but they were often really busy, and so the answer that she heard growing up often was no. And so I'm the oldest of five kids, and so when we started to move into junior high, my mom answer was always yes. It was we'd always go to mom and be like, "Can so and so come over?" And she was like, "Sure, no problem." And and being the oldest out of five, and you can kind of do the math in your head. If I have two or three friends over, and my brother has two or three friends over, and my other brother has two or three friends over, there's like 50 kids basically at the house constantly. Um, and I remember, you know, we had to have enough food just for the five of us. And so grocery shopping at Walmart growing up was like a four-hour endeavor uh, to be able to get through there and, and get home. But, but during the summertime, we always, always have our friends over. And so, so to prepare, my mom always loved to feed all of my friends. It was like this weird thing that she just really found tons of enjoyment in doing. And so it wasn't abnormal for her when, when we were going to Walmart and this dreaded trip that we have to take on a weekly basis that she would buy a whole ham or a whole turkey because inevitably she knew some of our friends would be over and junior high boys eat a lot. And uh, so she would need some ham or a whole turkey to be able to feed us. And so one summer in particular, my one of my younger brothers, he had like three or four friends in the neighborhood and I had some friends over, and my other brother had some friends over. So there was literally like 10 children in the house just kind of running around doing our thing. And so in the morning, she just put in a whole turkey because she knew they were going to be staying around, and, and she puts in this turkey, and she puts it on the table around lunchtime. And of course, as junior high boys, we like just dove headfirst into the turkey. And it was very, very exciting for us uh, to be able to find nourishment so we could go and ride bikes and do whatever we were going to do the rest of the day. One of my younger brothers, he had a friend named John John, and his mom had a rule for him and that he was not supposed to come into our house, not because our house was weird or they didn't like us or whatever, but because he, she didn't want him to impose on us. And she felt like my mom made all of this food, like no normal sane person would make all this food. That she felt like, you know, whether it was because she was working and, and John John was malnourished or something, even though he wasn't, that she needed to make this food. So she was like, you can go home, it was right across the street, and get some lunch, and then you can go back and play, but I don't want you in the house. So one of these days, I don't know if like John John just like snuck inside, or he like smelt the turkey, or saw it, or whatever, uh, he made his way inside. And this day, 
His mom decided to come home for lunch because moms are always know what's happening. And so she noticed that he wasn't there and he wasn't outside. And so she came out to the door. And it's one of those moments where like, and I'm sure you've had these before, where you see someone and you know that they're really upset, but they don't have to say anything. You can just tell by the look on their face. And, but you don't really know why they're upset, but it's going to be really, really bad. So that's basically what the situation was. And my mom saw it, and she's trying to kind of be referee and, and uh, so John John doesn't get in a ton of trouble. And John John's mom walks in and is like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be, you know, here. And my mom kind of, like, blamed on herself, even though it wasn't her fault. Like, oh, it's fine. Like, we just, we wanted to all eat together. It's not a big, you know, not a big deal. And I think for the first time, John John's mom looks at the table and she sees, like, the turkey. And she's like, what, what are you doing? Like, this isn't even, this is the middle of July. We're not even anywhere close to Thanksgiving. Like, that's when you have turkey. And they had a little bit of conversation. Then she kind of cooled off and went back home. And a couple of days later, she was walking around. She saw my mom. And she was still just in shock and awe. And she's like, I don't understand. Like, help me understand why you would make a whole turkey. And she just, my mom just talked about how she just loved all the kids and everyone just bringing more and more uh, chairs to the table. And as we think about expanding our circle wider and we think about loving others recklessly, that's kind of the image I have in my head. This idea of this table and you keep bringing more and more and more chairs there and expand, putting a couple leaves in, so to speak, and just expanding it and expanding it. Because often we think there isn't enough room. There, there, we can't possibly fit one more person into this space or one more thing. We can't do one more thing. And we think it's crazy to bake an entire turkey for a group of junior high boys because it is crazy. It is. And yet, Christ's reckless love leads us to expand what we ever thought was possible. It calls us to indeed bring more chairs to the table and say, in spite of what everyone else might be saying, there is indeed enough room, that Christ's love is indeed limitless. And yet, we're often plagued by fear. We're plagued by what others might think, or we're imposing, or we can't really do that, or someone's going to be upset if we do this new thing, or they're going to be like, what in the world are you doing? So we, and, and because of that, we often, out of our fear, limit what is possible. We think we can't do this, or it's going to, you know, it isn't going to work, or for whatever reason, we kind of insulate and we kind of, you know, shrink in, when in reality, the call is to keep expanding, to keep drawing circles wider and wider. And in today's story, we hear Jesus doing this exact same thing, Jesus pulling more chairs up to the table. So I want to take another look at the scripture to see what it has to teach us about loving others recklessly, about expanding the circle wider. And again, that's in Luke chapter 5, um, starting in verse 1. And in, in this scripture, it begins by Jesus standing by the lake of the Gennesaret, and a crowd had gathered to hear Jesus. And the first thing that's important is that the author is making clear that people at this point, very beginning of Jesus' ministry here, uh, that Luke's recording, is, is making clear that Jesus is this rabbi and this teacher, that people would come from all over the place to hear what he had to say. And he wasn't just some rabbi that, you know, maybe five people come into this town or ten people come into this town. 
everyone was coming from all over the place to hear. So many people were there that there wasn't barely enough room for Jesus to move. It says the crowd was pressing in on him. And this might be difficult for us to remember, but I want to take a walk back to the past when we went to these things called concerts or, or plays or whatever the thing is that you, you enjoyed going to where there might be like a thousand people at this thing. And, and, and you're standing shorter to shorter with people, which is before COVID, so everything was fine. And you have all these people, and you might be one of those people who kind of like go sideways and like kind of sneak past people to get in front of them. Or you might be vertically challenged, and so you're like standing up on your tippy toes to try to see the music or see whatever thing is going on. That's the picture of what is happening here. All of these people are coming in to see and to hear Jesus. There's some pushing. There might be some shoving. Everyone was fine. But that's kind of the scene. And it's for this reason that Jesus decides that he can't stay in the midst where this huge crowd is gathered. He, he sees Simon, uh, Simon, who we'll later know is the disciple Peter, washing his nets. He was a fisherman. They had been done for the day. And Jesus has this idea, I'll get in his boat. So he talks to Peter, and he rows him out from the shore in, by the, in the water. And that's where he does his teaching from. He does his teaching from this boat, and he, he does that teaching. And once everything, he's completed that, he's, he's with Peter and some of his men in this boat. And he turns to Peter, and he says this, Why don't you put your nets into the deep water? First, this is crazy uh, because they had already washed their nets, which shows that they are done for the day, and it also shows that it was not successful. They did not have a good day of fishing because there wasn't any fish in their boat. They hadn't caught anything. But Peter agrees. He puts down his net, but notice how Peter says it. He says, it says, Peter says, if you say so, I will let down the nets. So I don't know about you, but uh, for me, sometimes someone will say, like, hey, can you do this thing? And I think, that is really, like, not a good idea. But I don't want to tell them it's not a good idea. Um, and so I'm like, oh, sure. But in my head, I'm thinking, I really hope this fails really bad. And then I can be like, okay, I was right. Um, that's Peter. Jesus, who's this teacher, great teacher, is in this boat with him. And all of a sudden, this great teacher thinks he knows how to fish, when in reality, Peter's the fisherman. He's the expert. He knows what's going on. We're just not going to catch fish this day, today, and that's fine. But that's what Peter does. He puts down his net. And it's important, this word deep water, a lot of scholars think that this is um, signifying Peter's change in direction, that he's a fisherman now, but he's turning towards this deep water because he would have had to move the boat to that spot to then drop the nets down, that this is his movement then into being a disciple of Jesus. But no matter, we're not quite sure what exactly this means, if that's what Jesus meant or not, but like anyone who encounters Jesus, Peter is about to be forever changed. And the crazy thing for us as we read it, and I'm sure for Peter as well, is that they do catch all of these fish, so much so that there's a second boat that they have to help them get all these fish in. So these professional fishermen had spent all day and caught nothing. Jesus says, oh, that spot looks good, and so puts the net over there and begins to catch all of these fish. At that moment, 
Peter realizes that Jesus is not just some ordinary, everyday teacher or rabbi, that something amazing has just happened. It says that, that Peter falls down to his knees and says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And so that Luke, the author here, makes a connection with the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, by comparing this to Moses and the burning bush. And if we remember Moses and the burning bush, Moses um, meets God in this bush that is burning up, but it's not being consumed. And what does Moses do? He falls to the ground. He thinks he's not worthy, and he had this whole dialogue between God and Moses about, you need to go to Egypt. And Moses is like, I can't because here's a list of 15 reasons why I can't do this thing. And yet, what does Moses do? He goes to Egypt. In the same way, Peter has a sense of that he doesn't quite measure up, that he can't do this. This, this amazing thing is happening, and he, that's all he can think to do is just fall down and actually tells Jesus to, like, go away from him. But everyone with Peter is amazed by what, ha- what has happened. And Luke's, uh, Luke makes clear that James and John were also there with them. And, and we know James and John as disciples of Jesus as well. So it's not just Peter who becomes a disciple that day, but we're learning that also James and John saw this thing and be- begin, will begin to follow Jesus. But the word amazed here is not one of, like, excitement, really, but one of fear. Other translations uh, use the word astonishment. But the point is uh, that Peter, along with everyone else, not only can't believe what they just saw, but there's this fear that's kind of gripped them in this moment. And Jesus recognizes this fear, and he says what we often hear throughout Scripture, do not be afraid, which is interesting because this is the same phrase that the angel said when they came to Mary to tell her about Jesus, and the same phrase that the angel said when they went to Joseph to say, do not be afraid. Over and over again, we hear this refrain, do not be afraid. Because often, an encounter with God, we are fearful. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what this means. And yet, God continues to say to Peter and to us, do not be afraid. When we see this word, we know that someone is going to experience God's reckless love. And so after this, they go back to shore and they leave everything to follow Jesus. And I think often we hear this story and we're like, oh, yay, like, way to go, Peter. You're following Jesus. Um, But Peter and James and John and all those people on this boat have spent their whole life to be fishermen, not to be disciples. And so that would be like someone going off to school and getting an undergrad in fisherman-ness, and then getting their master's degree in that, and then they write a dissertation on how to be awesome at catching fish. And they're teaching, and they're doing all these great things, and all of a sudden, one day, this guy decides to, like, say, follow me, and Peter's like, okay, like, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, people on Facebook and Twitter are tweeting about, like, did you hear about what happened to Peter? Like, what's, well, he's, he's gone crazy, and he doesn't know what he's doing. That is this here. It's this reckless love of Jesus. Peter, too, has this idea of this reckless love that in spite of what is normal, in spite of what people are telling him to do, he is going to drop everything and follow Jesus. And then we hear this story 
of Jesus calling Levi, or what we may know him better as, is Matthew, the tax collector. Um, and Jesus does the same thing. He comes up to Matthew and says, will you follow me? And there's not some grand, scary story or anything that happens with that. Matthew's just like, sure, that sounds good, and drops everything and follows Jesus. But the story doesn't end there because he throws a party. He is so excited about following Jesus, he throws this party, he invites all his tax collector buddies over, um, and they're willing to have a huge potluck, and it's awesome. And so they come over to Matthew's house because Matthew wants to introduce them to Jesus because he's been transformed by him, and he wants his friends to meet him too. But somehow the Pharisees are there, and I feel like Pharisees are the people who, like, just happen to be at every single party all the time because I, you know that they weren't actually invited into this party, but they're there. And they're upset because Jesus, this teacher, is eating with tax collectors and sinners, as, as they call them. Because during that time, a rabbi or a teacher or a religious leader wasn't supposed to associate with people like Matthew, like tax, tax collectors. See, the wider culture thought those types of people you weren't to share a meal with or associate with. However, Jesus is intentional here because he's chosen to love others recklessly, to love others in a way that his culture says, like, you're not supposed to do that. He's drawing the circles wider and wider about what love looks like. He's pulling more chairs to the table. By including tax collectors and other sinners, Jesus is telling the Pharisees that while they don't include everyone, that he's going to choose to include and care for and love all people. And I find it interesting, the Pharisees are there, and so they turn to the disciples and ask this question. And I I imagine, like, Jesus is over here in the kind of corner, like, in another conversation, but overhears this. And so he doesn't even let the disciples respond. He just responds to them by saying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance." Jesus is communicating a complete reversal for the religious leaders and probably even some of his disciples. Jesus is saying that you better get used to this because this is the whole reason I have come. I'm expanding the circle wider and wider, and that is indeed reckless. In each of these stories, Jesus shows his deep love for Peter and Matthew. And for you and I, this is the message for us that truly God recklessly loves each and every one of us individually. Because I think it's often easy for us to believe that God loves the world. We can talk about that all day long. But when it comes to us individually, you know, we kind of maybe shift in our chair a little bit and get a little bit uncomfortable. Because I think we're a lot like Peter on that boat when he experienced Jesus. He says, go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinner. We think we're not good enough to be used by God, or we need to read our Bible more and pray more, or we need to reach some level of faith or spirituality, and then God will care deeply for us and use us and do these awesome things, but not today, not yet. However, that's not true. Jesus responds out of an immense love for Peter. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. This is not some future thing that Peter will do eventually. But what Jesus is saying is today, exactly as you are, Peter, I want you to love others 
recklessly. And the same is true for us. Today, God wants to use you to love others recklessly. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues to call us to expand our love for others. Jesus expanded um, the circle of people he chose to include as his disciple, as his disciples. We notice in the scriptures, the Pharisees, again, were upset by who Jesus chose to surround himself by. The religious leaders thought um, that you should just include people who are similar to you, who thought the same way you thought, who saw the world in the same way that you saw it. But Jesus chose to surround himself with a very diverse group of disciples. First, we have these fishermen that we heard about, Peter and James and John. He calls them. Then he calls Matthew, again, like we heard, this tax collector who is despised by people, and Peter, James, and John probably didn't really like Matthew a whole lot. And then, to top it off, which we didn't read about, he calls someone called Simon the Zealot. And a zealot um, was someone who was willing, who didn't like the Roman government at all, not a fan, and was willing to overthrow it by violent means. So these are very diverse, different people that Jesus, for some reason, thinks it would be a good idea to bring them all together and to live out this call of reckless love, right? He could have chosen 12 people that had the same interests and backgrounds and outlooks and perspectives on life. But he does, as he often does through Scripture, the exact opposite. He chose to bring in people as his disciples who maybe at times didn't like each other, and especially in the beginning probably didn't trust each other. But yet they all had one thing in common. They left everything that they knew and came and followed Jesus. And I don't know about you, I I do know one thing. Most of us are on social media. So I think we can relate to this idea of this desire to surround ourselves with the same types of people. And yet, Jesus' call is the same for the disciples as it is for us today. How are we going to draw that circle wider and wider to include people who maybe we don't always agree with, to include people who have a, a diverse range of opinions and thoughts? And honestly, for me, that's uncomfortable. That's, it's more comfortable to be around people who think and act and believe the same things that I do. But that's not what Jesus calls us to. He continues to challenge us to expand our circle. The church, the body of Christ, us here in this physical space and online, is full of different people coming together to love others recklessly. Loving people in the way the world questions is crazy or that doesn't make sense, but yet we know that more need to be included. I'm reminded of one of my favorite authors, uh, Rachel Held Evans. She has this book called Searching for Sunday, and she says this. She says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A bunch of outcasts, oddballs, gathered at a table, not because they're rich or worthy or good, but because they're hungry, because they said yes, and there's always room for more. So as we think about this idea of how do we expand our circle of love? How do we include people who are different? That's what the church is. The church is to be a group of people that come together from different perspectives and backgrounds and thoughts and feelings about the world, but we are focused in on one thing. Just like the disciples, we have said we will recklessly follow Jesus, and we will recklessly include 
others. Amen.